This is the Living in Fierce Alignment podcast, your go-to place for mindset transformation, self-empowerment, and personal development. I'm your host, Kayla. I'm a mindset coach for ambitious human beings who are wildly passionate about up-leveling themselves so that they can live a limitless life with ease. I'm here to show you how to create the life of your dreams and powerfully step into your full potential, and of course, live fiercely. So let's get started. Welcome back, everyone. Today's conversation is super freaking special. I'm really excited to share this with you because I have Phoebe Kuhn, who's come on for her second interview on my channel. So I'll have in the show notes the first interview that we did, episode 301. But today was such a fantastic freaking conversation. So if you don't know who Phoebe Kuhn is, she's the founder and CEO of the Content Emporium and the Human Design for Business Brands. These online training platforms teach entrepreneurs how to clarify their messaging, apply their human design to create an aligned, thriving business. These combined brands have served over 7,000 students internationally since January of 2020. She has a transformational documentary web series in the pipeline and two books scheduled for release in the next two years. So today's conversation was fantastic because we really looked at and she went deep and real into the challenges that she's experienced in her business this year, how she's pivoting, how she's closing things down in her business. And we just really got into the nitty gritty of what it means to have parasocial relationships. We talked about human design, her being a 3-6 projector. We talked about the gene keys. Like there was a lot of really great nuggets in this conversation. So I'm excited for you to dive in. I hope you get a ton of value. So let's get to it. Phoebe, I'm so pumped that you're coming back onto the channel for our second interview. And I feel like this will probably be an annual thing. And just so the listeners know, our first interview that we did, which I'll have in the show notes, it's episode 301, was my most listened to podcast episode on my channel this year. And I did like 70 something episodes this year. So that's kind of a, a sweet thing. So welcome back with a massive applause to that. Thank you. Yeah, it was a good one. I actually think that that was my favorite interview that I've ever done. That's awesome. I'm so flattered. And you know, what's funny. So I was like, just so the listeners know, I told Phoebe after the fact, because like Phoebe and I have been chatting multiple times a week for probably over a year at this point. So we're friends and we're also just having this conversation because why not? But I remember when I had you on the first time, I was like, didn't really know you that well. And I was like super intimidated. And I was like, oh my God. And the conversation was just so organic. And so Today's conversation, we had a little chat before we hit record and it's going to be a fucking juicy. So I'm looking forward to it. So let me ask you this. We're just going to get right into it because we've already been chatting a bit. This year, collectively speaking, and I can relate to this too, has been a very challenging year in life and also in entrepreneurship. And I know that that's the first door we're going to open in our conversation today. And I'm curious if you want to dive into that and then we're just going to unpack from there. Yeah, I think that collectively, people have had a really tough year and it was probably a while before people were realizing what was going on. I know that for me, I didn't realize that we were in a recession until probably around May. And so for the first couple of months in the year, I had a really big launch that really should have been a lot bigger. And my plan for that was to set the entire year up so that I could take a six month sabbatical to focus on my creative project. So for anyone that doesn't know or is new to me, I am a writer and I am currently working on actually two books, but at the beginning of the year, I had one book that I wanted to really finish and get out. 
So my plan was to prioritize that and making, I made it mean that like making that money was going to give me the freedom that I thought that I needed in order to get this book project done. And I had been working on this book for two years. So I started at the beginning of 2021 and, you know, when you've been working on something for two years, it kind of starts to eat away at you. Like, why haven't you finished this? Why haven't you published it yet? You know, like you want this to be this amazing thing that kind of defines you. Well, at least, you know, I'm speaking for myself. I wanted it to, to define me. And I thought that was going to be my great work. So that first few months in the year was very crippling. Um, realizing that like, oh, this isn't, I've done all of the same things that I usually do. I've set this up to have a very particular result. Usually I can predict with a great level of certainty and accuracy what's going to happen. And this really didn't flow out the way that I thought it would. And so that was really confronting and I needed to do a lot of ego work to kind of let go of the the stories that I was making that mean about myself and the things that I was afraid of happening that I didn't think I could handle. And then when I went into my second big launch of the year, the same thing was happening. And I was like, wait, I don't, I don't think that this is, I don't think that this is me. I think that this might actually be something else. And I was seeing a couple of my friends who are really on the point, like on the pulse, on the ball, uh, talking about the middle market dropping out. And so then I kind of went to my mentor at the time who was Scott Olford and said, what's, what's going on with all of this? And it was at that point that I realized that the market was changing, that we were actually in a recession and that even I kind of was lucky in 2022, you know, so technically the world was in recession in 2022, but I don't think it really was affecting a lot of people in our industry as much. I think it started to slow down a little bit, but I personally was in like a massive growth year in 2022. So it didn't, it didn't impact me until this year. And then I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is just an economy thing. You know, like I'm in that middle of the market section. I don't have a high ticket business model. I don't do really like one-on-one masterminds. And so I was, my business was directly affected by these changes. And then I was like, okay, well, I'm going to need to adapt. Um, So, I mean, that was, that was the financial thing. Like I've definitely observed people talk about how they didn't really know what was going on. And I think it was a, it was a while before a lot of people started to catch in and a lot of people probably still don't know. So when I say the middle of the market, what I'm referring to is Essentially, for anyone that is a coach or works in the online space, there's kind of this like gravy train sort of area, which is like online courses and programs, like group programs, you know, the infinitely scalable things. And generally things that are priced between like $500 to like $3,000, where it's low touch point by the coach or the teacher. That's how those types of business owners can make a substantial amount of money. And that's also the thing that was dramatically hit this year. So people started really buying the no-brainer price point masterclasses, like, you know, the $33 things, the $100 things, like those really, really went up. And because people were just like, well, that's an easy yes. And then high touch masterminds, one-on-one consulting, things like that also just stayed really strong. But that middle section, people were just like, no, absolutely not. And so that's what I'm referring to when I say the middle of the market bottomed out this year. Uh, I adapted pretty quickly and started kind of, you know, segmenting out some courses to be like $500 or less. All of the sales that I did where I was doing less than $500 items went really, really well. And all of my middle tier programs just were getting a a fraction of what they used to get. So uh, that's, that's kind of like how I adapted. I was just like, look, I'm not going to like really discount my programs, but I, I know how to like, you know, push them when I need to. 
but in addition to to business being kind of I guess strangly challenging uh, bush um there's you know what that kind of creates on an emotional or on a psychological level if people don't have the predictability and if they don't know how to adapt then there's like this emotional uncertainty that comes up I don't know if you felt that yourself like were you aware when these things were happening what was going on and why it was happening yeah I definitely noticed for myself I feel like this year I would say my challenging years really started actually very specifically August 8th in 2022 like the Lionsgate portal where everything I just felt like my ass fell through the floor and it was just things were not working didn't matter what I was doing and coming into this year I think it was just really I mean that's when I got into the messaging obviously I signed up for the messaging program and that right but I just really realized I'm like okay there's only so much energetic work you can do like it really is about finding like what the fuck is working for you and really looking at like, yes, you have to be strategic and obviously being strategic involves like looking at, Oh, the middle market is falling right now. Like, how are you going to adapt to that? Like it can't just be about your feelings and what it is that you want to do. Like there is a level of adaptability that's needed. Otherwise, yeah, people are just gonna, they're just gonna leave their business and get a nine to five and and not continue to do what they love to do. So I noticed that for myself, I personally kept going because I'm very stubborn <laughs> and I'm committed to the process, but that's, that's what I noticed in my own way. Yeah. I know that I, I did have to adapt my messaging to all of my programs because when you are in recession, uh, the focus tends to be a little bit different. So it is important to, to adapt those messages as well, right? Like the sentiment and like the fears are different and like the desires are different. So you need to be able to speak to that. Um, and I, changed the core selling point for the messaging program probably about halfway through the cart period when I kind of had an epiphany about what was going on and so I was sort of doing my own market research by just having dm conversations and then based on the questions that people were asking I was realizing what they were really wanting and what they were thinking about and like the program solves all of that I just wasn't leading with that as like the core selling points and it was the same thing when I did the big human design launch in the middle of the year I was realizing what people were really wanting based on the questions that were asking me and so I kind of use my sales conversations as market research. And then I adapted in the last maybe like three or four days and it really tipped things over the edge. So um, yeah, yeah. Your messaging during those times is so important as well. I feel like this year in a nutshell was a three line experience because with the challenging and the adapting comes the pivoting. And I know that that's something that you wanted to dive into because there has been quite a few pivots and doors that you're closing right now. And so I'm curious if you want to elaborate on that. Yeah. So I have had this kind of very shaky, crazy business journey. I think from the outside, it probably seems a lot more straightforward and a lot more stable than it has felt internally to me. Because whenever I share that with people, they're always very surprised. And they're like, really? Like, you just seem so solid. You have this great brand. And I'm like, man, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> so uh, I, my background is in filmmaking. I was a photographer for many years. I was a writer. Like I am a writer. I am a journalist. Like that's who I am. It's the way that I be in the world, you know, like my curiosity and the way that I think is always like in, in story. And it's always kind of like, you know, these characters and this development of, of this hero's journey. And I think that's why I've kind of been able to figure out marketing and, and be quite good at it because it's a very short jump between filmmaking and marketing. So, you know, a lot of people that 
I went to film school with, if they didn't end up working in the film industry, they kind of ended up working either in video production, like commercial video production or working in advertising. And I ended up working in advertising and advertising is marketing's like fun uncle. So it's sort of like a few skips away. When I started my business, it was, it was initially like, I was a writer and I was, I was writing these posts on Facebook and everyone was just like, how do I write like you? And so the first iteration of my program was a marketing program. It was, no, sorry. It was a writing program. And I was like, yeah, cool. This is who I am. Like, I'm a great writer. I'm going to teach people writing and storytelling. And then as we were in there, it became a marketing program. It kind of became about sales because people were like, how do I use this writing skill to get clients? And how do I use it, you know, to make money in my business? And I was like, well, you know, I can, I can figure that out. And so, you know, I, I obviously like was doing it, but not to a crazy degree. Like I just kind of had like my first 10 K month. I wasn't like making bajillions or squillions of dollars, you know, it was, I was, a, I was like, I'm going to teach you how to write. So as time progressed and went on, then all of a sudden I became this like marketing coach and I went out and I learned all of these things about sales and direct response, copywriting. And then before you knew it, you know, I had this marketing program. I was a marketer. I was a marketing coach. And then that was like the thing, you know, and I was in that and I was, there were times where I was like, I don't want to be known as a marketing coach because I don't want to be too like business, you know? And I had had so many terrible experiences with business coaches that I was like, in my head, the absolute worst thing in the world would be for me to be one of them. I was like, I hate those people. I hate business coaches. They're assholes. They're liars and they're scam artists and they're frauds and they have taken me for a ride. You know, like they're full of shit. Most of them don't even know anything about business. Like I worked in advertising for years. Like I've worked in startups. Like I've been a part of $500 million acquisitions and mergers. Like, and these people are selling business coaching. They don't even know. And I was like, no, like I'm an artist. I'm a writer. Like I'm not that. I'm not one of them. And then I remember two years ago. So it was actually like January of 2022. I was delivering a program. And one of the students was in a hot seat and she was like, yeah, I see you as a business coach. And I almost had a meltdown. <laughs> it was like, no, I'm not, I'm not a business coach. And half the people on the call were just like, aren't you? <laughs> I was like, not one of them. Um, and then I kind of had to just embrace it and accept it because I was like, I guess, I guess this is what it is. Right. But it was such a clash to my identity and the way that I saw myself that I, I was like, oh my God, like, I don't know what to do with this, you know? So I kind of had to just put the hat on and be like, look, if people already think this, I can't change their perception, you know? Like, and I just, you know, so the beginning of last year, I just, I, I leaned into it and I was like, fine, I'll just lean into this. And then I started releasing new programs. And so I released like a program on launching. I put together all of my work that I already had in human design. And then I released the human design for business program. And so that's kind of when I sort of put together the whole library because I had all of this stuff, but it was just sort of sitting around in the back end on my Google Drive and it was all over the place. So we organized it, we built it, we put it out and it was insanely successful. And then all of a sudden I became that human design chick and I was like, fuck, you know, and it, yeah, it was just like, okay, well, you know, that's whatever. Okay. And I, I, again, I didn't really think about the consequences of that. I didn't think that there would be consequences. I didn't think that there could possibly be repercussions for something. I just wasn't thinking about it. You know, at the time I was like, well, I'm helping people. People like it. People like me. So it's the trifecta, you know, I'm making money from helping people and people like me. How great. And that's what we want. You know, we want to be liked. We want to 
we want to have impact. So I was just like happy. I was like in my little bubble of like, woohoo, you know, great. And then at the end of last year, I had this like really very defining and very shattering moment where I was with an ex-partner. We're in LA, walking down Abikini, going to a restaurant, celebrating. And we bump into someone that he knew and she happened to be a filmmaker and she had won Emmys. She was Oscar nominated. She's got something out on Netflix right now. And I was like, oh my God, this woman is amazing. And she makes films about psychedelics, like, you know, cool stuff as well. And then her friend that she was with was like an award-winning journalist. And like he had reported on some of the most important events of the century. And I was like, these people are really, really esteemed you know so I'm not even going to use the word successful I'm going to say these people are really esteemed you know like they have an incredible career that is worthy of acclaim you know like they have really accomplished things like they have won accolades they've she's won actual they both won actual awards that are really significant you know we're not talking about money we're not talking about fame we're talking about meaningful contributions to humanity and she turned to me and she was like, oh, like, so what, what do you do? And she didn't say it in a way that was degrading. She just was like, you know, we've been talking about ourselves. Like, what is it that you do for work? And I had this moment where for the first time in my entire life, I felt so fucking small and I shrunk in my chair. My body language was just like hunched and small. And I realized that I didn't want to tell her that I had an online education business. I didn't want to tell her that I do courses. I didn't want to tell her about this, this, this thing or that thing. I was just like, I wanted to be able to tell her about my ideas because what she is doing means so much to me personally, that I wanted to be like, I went to film school and I'm working on books and I really am like aspiring to be a journalist because that's who I am. And I have these visions of these things that I want to build for humanity. I want to connect them with not-for-profits and social impact projects. And all I could say was like, I do courses. And that's not to say that doing courses is, is anything far less than incredible. But the fact that I had these other aspirations meant that I, I kind of had this moment of, oh my God, like I'm not doing what I want to be doing. You know, like I'm not really pursuing like my north star my everest and i was like horses are great and if that's your north star then like for me like fantastic you know but it for me it was always a means to an end for me it was always like a stepping stone for me to create financial empowerment for myself independence and freedom and for me it was always like i was in this mechanism of pursuing money so that money could help me build this next business which is a creative business and those this was kind of the story that i had for my whole life where i was like you know, artists don't make money. Like to be a filmmaker, you need a lot of money. To be a writer, you you like ideally, I mean, you can kind of write that like also the publishing and the writing industry changed like five years ago and all of the staff writers for publications were fired and everything became like user-generated, just like submit content. And so like the entire landscape of that industry changed. And I was just like, I need to build a business and I need to make my own money. And then I'm never going to be held at the mercy of someone else. I want creative freedom. I don't want someone that
that holds the bag of money looming over my head, telling me like, you need to make these creative changes. I don't want someone telling me that I need to change my vision. And if I'm the one that holds the money at the end of the day, then I'm the one in charge. And so I kind of, and this was 10 years ago that I sort of realized this. It was when I was at film school, I was like, I need to make my own money because fuck these fat cats at the studios that are like holding everyone hostage. Like anyone on a production set can be fired except the producer because the producer works for the production studio. Like they are directly the one kind of like the producer is really the one in charge. And so even if you're the director, you can be fired because you like, who are you? You're an artist, you know what I mean? And so I was just like, yeah, truly, if you have the money, you have the power and I don't want someone else having power over me. So I need to go and make my own money. And that has been my motivation for business since the beginning. And so at this point, I'm at this dinner, I'm in this conversation and I'm just like, I'm not where I want to be and I'm not doing what I want to do. And I have sacrificed, you know, the last several years of my life trying to like gain financial empowerment so that I'm not held hostage to someone else that tells me what to do. And, and I was like, okay, well, I need to go and fucking do this thing then. Like I can't hold, I can't hold on any longer, you know, like I need to pursue this. And my whole year this year was about like trying to make that happen and trying to be as like authentic to my vision as I possibly could, knowing that like, this is a dream that I've had since I was 17. And I've had clarity on this since I was 17. Like I've always known that I'm an artist and it's in my design, you know, like it's in my chart. It's like, hello, you are an artist. (laughs) And so the world seeing me as this like marketer or as this like business coach or as that human design chick has just been incredibly like it's been tormenting for me because I'm like, no, I want you to see my art. I want you to see my writing. I want you to see my storytelling. I want you to see my films because they're really, really amazing. And I haven't had the chance to like really bring that forward yet. I'm loving this. I'm like sitting here just listening and there's so many things that I'm like, my brain is turning also because there's like human design and gene keys stuff coming up that you and I already talked about, but there is something that I'm seeing and hearing that we haven't talked about yet. And I want to ask you about this. Yeah. I've, I've shared this with projectors before, like just so the listeners know, Phoebe's a three, six projector. And I'm curious if, because you were repeatedly recognized for, you know, the marketing and the writing and the business coaching and the education stuff that you kind of allowed yourself to get pulled into that. Cause it's like, Oh, well, I'm being recognized for this. And the other thing too, is you having a completely open sacral and heart center is like, you're just picking up on the excitement and the creative energy of the people around you. And then the open heart center is like, well, if I want to be recognized and seen as valuable and be an integrity and do all these things and bring all the resources, like that is also just being influenced. And I feel like you've finally come to the point where it's like, okay, this isn't actually what I want to be doing. And then you and I had the conversation too, like the three, six, especially because right now you're in the process of retiring the human design for business academy, you know, courses and whatnot. And it's like, you've experimented with all of this until this point, like such a three line. And now it's the six line embodiment of like, I'm on the roof and I'm seeing what's next. And this is where I want to go. And it's like, you're finally not to say that you weren't recognizing yourself before as a projector, but now I feel like you're really at the point of like, I'm tired of doing what I think I should be doing or what the people are asking me to do. And it's like, this is what I actually want to be doing, which is like so beautiful. Cause that's a, that's an open heart and alignment being like, 
this is what I desire and I'm allowed to change my mind. So I was like listening to you and I was like, oh my God, like I'm just, I just wanted to mirror that back to you. And I'm curious if that lands for you. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my God. I, I definitely think that I was feeding off the excitement of people being like, wow, this is new and refreshing. And no one's taught this this way before. Like no one's kind of adapted this this way before. And there was so much recognition. It, you know, it's like crack, right? And yeah, I felt so valuable. I was like, oh my God, you know, I'm creating so much value. People really see me. This is amazing. And I was making a lot of money for it as well. And so that's also really addictive and validating in its own right. And I was just like, you know, at the end of the day, what like I've thought about this so much, so much. It's not like I just had this realization, like throughout the entire four-year period that I have been like running these brands, I've asked myself these questions, like, is this authentic? You know, like, is this actually okay? Like, would it be more authentic if I had a photography business like I used to? Would it be more authentic if I was teaching copywriters how to write copy? Like what, you know, like, is there any part of this, like, where is my line of morality of where authenticity is for me because authenticity is really important to me. And like, every time I checked in with myself, it was always within the parameters of like, let's say, let's say there's such a thing as an authenticity circle and you stand in the middle and like that circle gets, you know, wider and wider and wider. And you're like, cool, well, I'm still within the parameters of my authenticity circle. So like, it's fine. I'm happy to make money this way, you know? And like outside of the authenticity circle, making money is like, you know, maybe it's pyramid schemes. Maybe it's, you know, like whatever is inauthentic or immoral or unethical out of integrity for you, like you need to know where your line is, right? Like for me, I would never do MLM. And that's not to say that there's anything wrong with that. Like, it's just not authentic to me. And I know that it's outside of my line. It's outside of my parameters. And whenever I checked in with myself with this, it was always like, yeah, this is, this is within my line of, of, it feels authentic enough. Cause with human design, I was like, I was, you know, there were times where I'd be really excited about it. And I'd be like, oh my God, I got this new discovery. Whoa, 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 whoa. So cool. And I was obviously using it and like getting results and like feeling great. And every time I learned something, I was like, well, I'm teaching it. Um, And I think that the part of human design that felt really exciting to me was the idea of teaching people how to repattern and decondition and then using human design as like a lens through which they could view their patterning and deconditioning. But I was really not so much teaching people like the mechanics of like the system. I was really more so being like, hey, here's some cognitive behavioral therapy and like, you know, here's how you can actually repattern this thing. But if you want to know what patterns you have, you know, here's the human design system. It's really helpful for that. Right. So I think the thing that I was really probably, that was maybe more in alignment was the psychology aspect of it for me. And I think maybe more so like the philosophy aspect, you know, like I think the whole message around human design is like, be your authentic self, be you, you know, and that ultimately is a philosophy of like how you want to do business. And things that kind of pillars that have always felt representative of myself have been psychology, philosophy, and storytelling. Those have always kind of been the things that have just been timeless, like throughout my entire life. And so I'm like, I've always been like, yeah, you know, this is close enough. This is okay. And then at that dinner, I was just like, no, it's, it's now outside of the line. So let me ask you this. We're talking about the big pivot and just your realizations and the things that you're cutting off. And honestly, it's such a three-line thing as well to just be like, hey, I'm done with this. Like, bye-bye now, like chopping block kind of thing, right? Bye-bye now. And, yeah. But we 
talked about how what comes with pivoting is that even though it's so interesting how we know what's best for us, like really, when we do the work, we know ourselves, we know what's best for us. And then it's interesting how you come forward and you share, okay, this is what I'm doing, but then you get backlash. And I know that that's something that you shared that came up a lot for you this year. And like, that's what happens when you become more visible. But I would love for you to share more of that because I think there's a couple things. I know that including myself, I've definitely held myself back online because of the fear of being misrepresented, being questioned for my integrity, being called out judge, being misunderstood when in reality, all that we really give a shit about is, is helping people and doing what we love to do. Like that's what it comes down to. But at the same time, there's that that's just always going to happen because unfortunately, sometimes as humans, we're fucking assholes. And so I'm curious if you can share you know, in particular with this, retiring the human design for business, I actually was shocked when you told me that you had backlash. I was like, are you kidding me? And I know that there's other things that you've experienced backlash as well. And I would love for you to just bring this to the forefront so that people can have more awareness because it's kind of weird to say it's sort of a privilege to get backlash in the sense that like you're obviously visible and you have an impact, but then there's the side of like, it sucks to get backlash and no one deserves that. So it's very, it's a very gray area. And I know that you have a lot to say about it. I was very, very surprised. And I think one of the things that made this year feel challenging for me was that for the first time, I kind of had more, let's say criticism of, of and scrutiny of what I was doing or what I was saying, like my, my choices and my public decision-making. I did start sharing more of myself this year. And I think I'm probably someone that has shared a lot of my personal life and probably shared more than just, hey, here's what I'm selling. But I've shared a lot of myself. When I announced that I was retiring the Human Design for Business brand a couple of days ago, there were so many people that came out and pushed back on the decision and kind of like almost begged for me to not do it. And people begged for me to keep the vision alive or to pass it on to someone else. There was like this, like some people were offended. They were like, how could you do this? You know, like it was like a very personal thing for some people. I was really, really shocked. You know, I, I had some, some comments were public where it was just like, well, would you do this? And some people were just DMing me um, or responding to the email that I sent. So about two months ago, when I realized that I was in a pivot or that I was kind of wanting to, you know, shift into doing my artistry. And I was like, kind of thinking like, okay, now that I have this new line, like, what is it that I want to teach and sell? And what, what is it that I want to be known for? Uh, Amanda Bucci was launching like a mastermind type of thing called The Path. And it was funny because I immediately knew that it wasn't the program for me, but I just was really relating with all of her messaging. And I just find message and I was like, listen, this isn't for me. Like I've looked at the sales page and I don't need at least half of this stuff, but I'm, I'm resonating with a lot of what you're saying. And I also have seen you do this. Like I've seen you go from, you know, business coach to life coach. I've seen you go from life coach to, you know, conscious leader. I've seen you go from this to that. And I've seen you reinvent yourself many times. And I do think that there's something that you have and I'm not sure what it is, but I think you have some wisdom for me that is very unique and niche and I want to work with you. And can we create something custom? And so we started working together one-on-one -on -one about two months ago. We've had some really awesome conversations. And it was within this last week where I announced this pivot that, or just when I announced the shutdown of the brand, that I was able to really have this conversation with her about the mechanics of parasocial relationships 
and these elements of what it means to be a social media influencer. For the record, I've never seen myself as an influencer. Like I've never seen myself as a, I guess like you call them micro influencers. I've just no, I'm not seen that. And I've always kind of like made a joke out of it, you know, like, haha, influencer, like, haha, you know, but I, I think actually I'm sort of now coming to terms with the fact that I do have a reasonable amount of influence in a certain community because people buy things when I promote other things people do what I do. Like I've had people message me and when I'm like posting a lot of me in the gym, people are like, yeah, I started going to the gym more. But when I'm like sharing more about, you know, sexuality and and my dating and my love life and my, you know, my kind of sex life and, you know, elements of, of kink or whatever, people are like, yeah, I'm really curious about getting into this now, you know, and people, yeah, like there's, there's clearly a lot of influence there. And so and now I'm seeing, especially with the way that people have been responding to this, this shutdown, like that there is this very clear one-sided relationship where like these, a lot of these people don't, they, they know me, but I don't know them. You know, like I, I know some of them, like obviously there's a portion of these people that are friends that I know in real life. And then there are a portion of these people that are current or past students or clients. And then there's just like a sea of people that, you know, I've, I've never met them and I don't know them and, and they know a lot about me, you know, they know my sexual template. They know my BDSM profile. They know, you know, where I spent last Christmas. They know my friends. Maybe they know some of my lovers. They know, you know, a lot of my decision-making around certain things. They know my inner thoughts because sometimes I'll post journal entries and affirmations, right? And it's just like, you know, they know a lot about me and my life. And I think when you know a lot about someone, you think that you have a relationship with them, right? So that's what a parasocial relationship is. It's one-sided. And this was, I didn't even know this word until about a year and a half ago. And then I was like, oh, okay, this is an interesting concept. And in this process, I've learned so much about what it means to exist in that dynamic because I've only seen the positives for being in my role as like the quote social media influencer which is like hey cool like I get to do things and people will say they'll do what I say and they'll you know like it's easier for me to make money and da -da -da -da. like it's cool to have the validation and the feedback of like I you know I feel popular and I feel interesting and da -da -da -da, right and then the upside of it is that you really start to see that this is a relationship and so you know with a couple of these things that people have said to me I've, I've brought them to Amanda and I've been like what is up with this you know like I don't like what I don't what and she's been like yeah you need to see that you represent something inside their mind like they don't know you you know they don't know who you are but to these people or to this in particular individual you represent this you know they need you to play this role for them and so they have these expectations of you. They have these hopes of you because they need you to be the leader or because they need you to be, you know, the person that's like shepherding this thing that means something to them, right? And so when you are living authentically to you, but that is conflicting with what they want from you, then it's confronting to them because they're like, hang on a minute. This person isn't acting the way that I want them to. This person isn't behaving or saying what I need them to in order for them to continue playing this role for me. How dare you? And they act out. And then they might, because they think they have this relationship with you, they say something to you directly. And you're just like, when you receive it, you're like, I don't know you. Who are you? Why are you speaking to me this way? I never agree to this. Like, 
you know, and, and so for me, there's been this really violent, like, you know, boundary violation where I'm like, I didn't consent to this. Like, how dare you speak to me in this way where like, you know, you're expressing your disappointment of me to something that I never consented to. How does it feel for me to know that I cannot make you happy? I never agreed to this and already I'm failing and disappointing a standard that I never agreed to. We don't have a contract that I've signed, whether, you know, verbal or written, where I have gone cool in order for us both to win and have like a mutually beneficial relationship. Here are all of the terms of how I agree to show up to this. And so in this parasocial dynamic, like you don't have these agreements with these people, with your audience, but they get to have these projections of you and how they want you to behave. And so like, you know, they're not thinking about that side. They're not aware of it, right? They're not aware that they have these unconscious projections. And like, until you go through this process, you're just like, people are crazy. This is insane and so unfair. And I don't want to deal with this at all. And now I'm like learning, oh, this, this is something that comes with the job, but here's how to like cultivate more compassion and acceptance and understanding around it. And to also maybe even start to like introduce some boundaries when you're engaging with your audience. And like, yeah, you get to decide what you share. And like, that's been massive for me over the last couple of weeks. I really appreciate you bringing this up because obviously social media is blowing up. Like being an influencer or just being somebody who has a large following and impact on others is is a privilege. It takes time to build, but yeah, there's going to be, you know, pros and cons with it. And I think just pointing this out. And one thing that I want to emphasize is I always disagree when people project I'm like, oh, you should be using your social media for this or speaking out about this, like just because, and yeah, I'm talking about politics right now and, you know, other challenges we've had in terms of like the Black Lives Matter movement or vaccinations and COVID, just because somebody is not sharing on their social media because they have a large following doesn't mean that they're not processing, that they're not acknowledging, that they're not taking their own action behind the scenes. And I think exactly. that that's something that, I really just wanted to emphasize that because I think some people, they get their knickers in a knot and they, they're projecting all over the place and they're like pointing fingers like you have the big following and you should blah, blah, blah. Like you said, the expectations aren't being met, but the reality is you said it too, like you didn't sign an agreement, like no one signed an agreement. And I think that this is something that people really need to realize. Like if you don't like how somebody's showing up online, you disagree with it, you can walk away. That's the point of social media. You're not actually bound to anything. You can unfollow, you can block, you can mute, you can do whatever, but we don't have to, you know, light each other up like a fucking Christmas tree with gasoline on it because it's just not, it's it's not, there's the lack of humanity is what it is. Yeah. So it's so fascinating. Like something Amanda said the other day was that people love to formulate how other people should spend their money. And isn't that a relevant one, right? Like, you know, yeah, what you should do with your platform, like how you should be using your influence. And it's like, I didn't even know that I had influence. <laughs> but the money thing I think is really interesting because, you know, A, within our industry, because there are so many people talking about like, oh, however many months and like how many years, people think that you just have this amount of money lying around. And like, I've been very transparent 
with revenue and with expenses and profit. And we talked about this quite a bit in our last episode and people had no idea. And I think it was really illuminating for them to realize that if you have, if you have a business that's generating this amount of money, that doesn't mean that you personally have that amount of money. And here's what you might personally be living on. Right. And so my whole comment of like, yeah, I was paying myself $3,000 a month was like quite shocking for people. And so when people, you know, so, oh, blah, 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 like Taylor Swift made $9 million from this like stadium tour in this one city. And you go, oh my God, $9 million. What you should be doing X, Y, Z with that, you know? And, and there's a lot of expectation of like, you could be curing this problem and you could be curing that problem. And like, first of all, you don't know that they're not already doing that. As you said, behind closed doors, right? Like you don't know what people are doing with their money. Um, I received a projection maybe about a month ago, maybe two months ago, where people were responding to a story about me buying a plane ticket and someone said something about, <laughs> you know, you should, rather than like flying business class or something, making a big deal out of this, like you should be putting that money towards like charity or like you should, you know, that amount of money could buy this in this country. And I was like, I know, I literally know. Do you know how I know? because my entire life I've researched social enterprises and like I am building a business so that I can fund a vision that creates impact. And for me, impact is like, people need to recognize that the coaching industry is a privileged industry. Like you're not helping poor people in the coaching industry like not with $500 an hour prices, you know what I mean? Like, like everybody's calm down. Okay. Um, there's a company in Australia called thank you. And it is my favorite company that exists in the whole world. I'm pretty sure they're a certified B Corp. Uh, their whole thing, like they started out selling bottled water, but the, the guy who founded it, his name is Daniel Flynn. He started it with his then girlfriend, now wife and his best friend, the three of them. And he kind of found out, you know, how big of an issue the global water crisis was. And he was like, I'm going to make it my life mission to solve the global water crisis. It's not a small challenge. Like, you know, this is a big thing. That's like saying I'm going to end world hunger, like world water crisis. And so every dollar of profit from that company. So this is how social enterprises work. You can have a 100% enterprise model, or you can have like a partial social enterprise. If you have 100%, basically every single bit of profit doesn't go to like a board of shareholders. It doesn't get distributed amongst the founders. It goes into social impact projects or into a charity that is connected to the brand. So like, let's say you make, you know, a million dollars a year. And of that million dollars, you have $50,000 profit. You know, there is some profit, everyone gets paid. So they all have their salaries that $50,000 could go towards like the Red Cross or something. And, and that's how those social impact, those social enterprise businesses work. And so they were funding initiatives in like very specific countries where they were building water pipelines. They were building infrastructure to clean water in like certain areas in Africa and Southeast Asia to provide the accessibility of safe, clean water to like certain rural villages and certain families and communities. And that is basically, I mean, that's a really good example of like part of my larger vision, which we know we won't talk about today because then we would be talking for three hours. But it's, it's like they've 
you know, they sell these random things, you know, like diapers or like food or like water bottles, but it's all been part of this larger thing. And then they've had these like amazing marketing campaigns where they've gone out onto site and been able to create these amazing videos and photo campaigns. And they've been able to like use a lot of really aesthetic storytelling to be like, look at the impact that you're creating every time you buy a thank you water versus another brand. You're, you know, providing accessibility to safe water. People were making the assumption that, you know, like, that like I have all of this stuff. And I think a lot of the time when people meet me, they're quite surprised to realize like I'm quite um I'm like like a minimal person. And like I don't typically spend a lot of money on like luxury items. Like you know, I'll fly business class on long haul flights because it makes a massive difference to my overall ability to sleep and energy levels, right? But I don't really slack splash out on on luxury items. Like it's it's just not like in my in my nature. And so a lot of the business that I'm like building and saving for is to fund this like larger thing, right? And so people didn't know that about me. You know, my close friends know, but you know, the the wide audience doesn't know. And so they probably have lumped me into that category of like business coaches that I quoted earlier that I like vehemently dislike because a lot of their marketing is like, look at me, I'm at this five-star restaurant and I'm, I have the Chanel handbag and you can get a Chanel handbag too. And I'm like, literally could not be like further from like my personal values. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just like not what I represent. And people have this idea in their mind about who you are based on what you do or, you know, how much money you make. And everyone has an idea of like what you, what they think that you should do with that. Right. And so again, people have had their projections of like, here's what I think you should do with this business. Like, have you thought about selling it? Why don't you just leave it up passively? And it's like, well, like, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that because I don't want people to see me in that way. I want, you know, I want the filmmakers to be like, she's one of us, you know, and I want people to see my creative work. And so there's this kind of like ongoing process that needs to occur. And as long as I'm still, you know, like pimping human design programs, like I'm, I'm holding myself back from actually being in my design. So if you want me to live in my design, <laughs> leave me alone. <laughs> oh my God. You know what though? Like, I just love that I've said this, I've said this so many times to projectors, like you have to recognize yourself so that people recognize you recognizing yourself. Like it creates this thread of recognition. And if you only operate in the lens of I'm doing this so that people can recognize me, you're not recognizing yourself. You're not creating the full experience of that signature recognition. And so it's so interesting because now it's like you're in the deconditioning process of like what I mentioned earlier, like open sacral, open heart, get the fuck out what everybody else wants me to do. Like, this is what I'm doing now. And so I think that, you know, that's so beautiful. And, you know, we've talked about, we've talked about money and it's funny too, because we, we talked about in the DMs when you and I had a conversation the other week, the gene keys, how I brought this up and we started talking about your vocation and your oh core God. wound being the 55th. And I was like, oh yeah, Phoebe. And I just totally went off on this tangent about how she has the 55.1 in her vocation. And then you like circled back. She circled back like a week later and she's like, oh my God, I had like this massive breakthrough and realization. And, and I was like, sweet, tell me. She's like, oh, I'll save it for the podcast. And I was like, you can't do that. My undefined head was like, I need the fucking answers. <laughs> but I want to talk about this now because freedom is... The biggest, I guess, until further spoken, intangible thing that people want until you really get clear on what that freedom represents to you. And having that as the gene key there, you know, the shadow is victimization. And then we have the gift in the city of freedom. And I really want to hear what your realizations were about this, because 
I just love that it's part of the Pearl sequence. And in the Pearl sequence, we talk about like how you're designed to be of service and also your prosperity. So it's like you tapping into that freedom is creating this new paradigm of prosperity. So we're going to geek out on jinkies for a second. <laughs> yeah. When you brought that up, it was such a great reminder because I've been contemplating that key for, I don't know, maybe at least three years, if not more. And every time I contemplate it, I, I both laugh and cry at the same time <laughs> because it's so true and painful and funny. Like I have this interesting relationship with freedom where and this is you know it's it's so interesting like I was reading my numerology report the other day and it and my friend Harriet who was also a really incredible numerologist was saying to me you know she says to me all the time she's like yeah because you are like a path 10 slash one like you know there's a lot of leadership elements in my numerology chart and she's like you have this like struggle between accepting and embracing the responsibility of leadership and being the leader and and doing like the work that you need to do for the world and for the people and blah, blah, blah. And then just wanting to be free. And I'm like, that's literally it. I was listening to this podcast episode with Adam Grant and I think it was Huberman the other day. And Adam Grant said something that will stick with me forever. He was like, every morning I wake up and I'm faced with the same dilemma and it's do I choose to enjoy the world or save and contribute to it? And I think that that explains that that compromise or that dynamic between like freedom and responsibility so well that like, am I going to lead and am I going to contribute? And am I going to like try and, you know, kind of heal the world and like fix it and make it a better place with my abilities? Or am I going to just enjoy it and be free you know, and I've kind of like come to this realization of like, here's how I can do both my way. On Thursday was my message. It was like, yo, this freedom contemplation thing has been wild. Uh, I journaled it. So I'm just going to read from my journal because it's it's going to be the easiest thing to do. Earlier in the year, uh, so my friend Harriet was saying to me that within my chart, like my core pattern is that I constantly need to like figure things out and try and make sense of things. And so like, I realized that I got caught up in that pattern again of trying to like figure things out and like, what am I supposed to do and how am I supposed to do it? And so for me, the thing that like, I've always gotten stuck in is if I know that I'm an artist, if I know that I'm a creative and if I know that that's my true genius zone, then how do I make money as a creative? Like, how do I make money using my true zone of genius? Because I, I do believe that my zone of excellence is teaching. I believe that coaching is a zone of excellence. I believe that entrepreneurship is a zone of excellence. And I'm, I'm really good at all of these things, but I don't think they're my true genius zone. And so I was like, okay, oh my God, my biggest like quote problem just collapsed. My whole life on some level, I've known that I'm here to make a big difference in the world and that I'm here to deeply influence the masses. And I've also known that I'm an artist. My trap is trying to figure things out. How can I be both an entrepreneur and an artist at the same time? If this is true, then how can that also be true? Like, how can I be both? Then I distract myself by trying to make sense of things that don't actually matter because there are no such things as problems. The ego creates them to divert your attention away from simply living your life freely. And that's your destiny. I finally understand my destiny. 
it's not to be an artist or a filmmaker or a writer or a journalist in the traditional sense. All of these things are simply expressions of my creative genius. And it is simply what gives me joy to use these gifts and abilities. So I think that we identify as the thing that we do and we go like, oh, that's who I am. Like what I do is who I am. And like, I'm supposed to be this particular thing, but we're not supposed to be a job. That's not who we are. Right. And so I was like, yeah, they're just expressions of how your, like your gifts come through in these different avenues. So remember, you are not one thing because you're all of it. Remember what Alan Watts says. It is so simple. The meaning of life is just to be alive, to experience life itself. This is your purpose. It's everyone's purpose to experience simply being alive. Your unique expression of being alive is through documenting all of your adventures, quests, and internal journeys. And this is how you inspire and lead others. Quote, like in brackets as a 3-6 projector. (laughs) The words that came to you in 2016 after a breakthrough process when you started going deeper into personal development to inspire and empower people through the power of storytelling. This is your vehicle for how you deliver your transformational leadership. You have nothing to figure out. And this is the great secret. Follow your heart every day and lean into your curiosities. Document it. Tell the story of your life. Money will always flow to you. It doesn't actually matter how you make money. Your intuition always delivers you the brilliant genius ideas that make you money. You never need to worry about it because you're already doing it. Keep following your bliss. Photograph people. Make films. Do stand-up comedy. Write poems with the world's great living poets. Climb the greatest mountains. This is why building a business is a core part of your, your like living your destiny because it's all part of it. Paint in Barcelona, open a restaurant if you want to. Your destiny isn't to do anything in particular. Your destiny is simply to leap bravely into the unknown again and again and again. You are supposed to show, not tell people that they can do that as well and that they don't have to fit inside a box, that they can do whatever they want and have incredible experiences. You are here to show people how to live. This is why you're a philosopher, you're an adventurer, you're an artist. Life is not something to be taken seriously. Work isn't either. It's all just play and it doesn't need to make sense. You, Phoebe Coon, will never make sense. And that, my dear, is the whole goddamn point. You will give people permission to live a nonlinear life, not moving toward one particular goal or thing, but simply to live. Permission to not make sense. This is why you're here. Go and follow your impulses. Go and live all of your crazy dreams. Do all of the things that light you up. You're not here to build a career. You're here to be free. And in your freedom, you are a role model and an example of what it means to live bravely, to be true to your heart. You are free, my friend. Don't ever forget it. I'm so satisfied listening. And, and you know what, actually, so I obviously can, I can't help myself when I do podcast interviews with people and I'm like looking at their chart. I know that you know this. But you have the 56 in your Mercury, which yeah. is all about storytelling. And it's just so interesting because it, it just goes to show the nuance and how things are connected. Because like your Mercury is not in the gene keys. People know this or they don't know this, but now you know this. But it's mm-hmm. like literally everything that you shared, definitely a six line lens, which you have this 56.6 in your Mercury. And it's like, how can you remove the distractions and just really be in the enrichment of your fucking life and then being intoxicated by that. Like if you actually think about 
the experience of being intoxicated, like people might just assume alcohol, is you lose the sense of time. You lose the sense of anything. Like it's just you're in the moment, right? It's this or this intoxication of laughter and you can't stop laughing because your belly's hurting so hard. And it's just, it's just the intoxication of the moment. And it's like the way to experience that is through being present. But the way to be present is to be creative. And it's so beautiful again because your vocation, the one line, scriptwriter production here to create things. And then here in that 56.6 and what you just shared, I mean, there's so many like gene keys that I could pull out of that, but I was just listening to it. I'm like, of course that, that creative aspect. And I know that you and I talked about this, like the question you've been asking yourself, can I be an entrepreneur and an artist at the same time? Mm. And it's like, there's this narrative. If you think about it, there's this narrative that, you know, the starving artist, or it's hard to make money as an artist. And that's a fucking distraction from people simply just doing the creative work that lights them up. If you're distracted by the fact that starving artist bullshit that people say in society, you will never fully lean into your art. And I really feel like everything that you just shared was pulling all of that away and just creating space on a clear canvas. Dude, totally. Yeah. And that's what the realization was. It's like, I feel like I've spent so much of this year trying to solve a problem that didn't need to be solved. And then at the end of that being like, oh my God, I just caught my ego in this whole, like playing the game of the illusion, you know? And then being like, no, it's all just really simple. And we have this, this tendency to overcomplicate it and then be like, oh my God, I don't know. It's some swirling, man. I got to figure it out. You know, I'm just like, I'm confused. And like, if you drop that and entertain the possibility that maybe there's nothing to figure out and maybe there's no problem to be solved, what would you be? Like, what would you allow yourself to be? And what would you allow yourself to enjoy and experience if you weren't trying to figure something out or trying to problem solve? Like, how can you just allow all of the paradoxes and the dualities to exist and be like, yeah, cool. There's like things going on and I don't need perfect conditions to be living my truth yes that specific bit I don't need perfect conditions to live my truth you know and it's and even then you know there might be some people listening to this who are their parents they have kids they have their they have all of these responsibilities and then it becomes and I'm gonna say it an excuse to not create freedom but there are also people who have all of those responsibilities that create freedom like freedom is created because it's so subjective like your version of freedom might feel like a prison to me or vice versa Mm -hmm. and it's like so it's it's like it's so interesting it's we we're out there like you said trying to solve these problems that aren't even there in the first place and getting distracted and we're going and trying to figure things out when at the end of it you create the freedom like it has to come from you and that's so genius because that's literally the one line in the vocation is creating it. And you actually said one of the the aspects of having the one line in the vocation is removing the ego and allowing yourself to be supported by the correct people as you bring your creative ideas into the world, which is what you're doing now. It's like pulling away and retiring like half of your, your business and then not bringing in that space to create something new and being like, no, I'm not gonna be the victim of like how other people see me this is what I'm doing instead. And that's the leadership energy that you talked about as well. Mm, oh my God, it's so good. I think we te- we tend to see it as a very tangible thing. Like, oh, time freedom, 
money freedom, location freedom, you know, but I think it really is an emotional and an internal thing. And it really is our perception of, and the way that we relate to life itself, you know, it's like, what am I going to allow myself to do or be or have? And, you know, why am I telling myself why I can't have this thing or why I can't be this thing? Because at the end of the day, there is no hard iron clasp that says, you know, you can't be an artist and an entrepreneur. You know, that's me in my head with my story saying that doesn't make sense. You know, you can't do that, you know, or it's like, there's no one outside of you that is holding a gun to your head saying you can't, you know, live in Bali or you can't, you know, you can't talk about this, you know, you have to talk about this only, or you can't do that. Right. There's, there's, there's no real confines or restrictions, but we self-impose all of these things. And I think true emotional freedom is when we have the ability to question the stories that we've told ourselves about why we can't do certain things and why we can't have certain things. And then realizing like, we're the one holding the keys, we're the ones that have built the cage. And are we going to liberate ourselves from the device that we've created that traps us? There is no one external to you that traps you. It's you, you know? And I think like, even business coaches when we're, we're, or like when people, you know, in marketing or business and social media talk about like, oh, you know, you should post three times a week or you should post every day. And then people go, I can't do that. Da, 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 da. It's like, okay, well, again, no one is holding a gun to your head saying you have to create reels and dance like a monkey. No one's saying you have to sell this way. Maybe someone's saying, hey, Here's my formula for how I do it. And you can learn how I do it, but no one's actually making you do it. But here's the thing. People feel frustrated and upset when they think that's the only option. And then they project onto the person, you know, like you, you said that I had to do this. Did they? Did, but like, what did you make it mean? Did you make it mean that you were going to die if you didn't do it? Did you make it mean that you weren't going to be successful if you didn't do it? You also have the ability to like push back and be like, hey, I don't want to do that. Is there anything else that I can do that you could recommend? How many times in the history of business coaching do you think someone has actually responded to the coach and been like, I don't want to do that. Like, is there anything else you recommend? Like, do you have any other approaches or any other strategies that might be a little bit more hands off or that might be a little lighter or like, what's your alternative suggestion for this? Pro tip, push back and ask for other ways of doing things if you want Like, don't just get someone to tell you what to do. Like, I think if you want to cultivate that internal freedom, be like, I'm not going to take anything that anyone says to me ever as an absolute. I'm going to push back and be like, what are some other examples of people doing this in ways that they're creating an outcome that is desirable for me? Note how I didn't use the word success. Because again, it's subjective and it's open to interpretation, right? And I think like, What you want to do is obviously you probably already know that you want to find role models of people who are, you know, managing or holding, growing the type of business that you want to have, people that have the kind of lifestyles that you want to have, you know, but I think like really be like, cool, like how can I, and I think this is the whole, this is the brilliance of human design, right? It's like, how can I be my own authority? But the key to the freedom piece is being like, no one is actually holding a gun to my head saying that I can't do something. 
And, you know, when someone says that there are consequences, I can also decide and actively participate in that decision as to whether or not I'm willing to take on those consequences. And if I am, I'm choosing that. I'm choosing, I'm choosing everything. I'm actually in charge of my life. And the more you see that, that you're really in charge, the more liberated you really feel. And like, I had to remind myself of that this year. I had to be like, okay, I need to reframe the way that I've told myself this year is because this year hasn't been a sucky year. It's been a year of a lot of twists and turns. Like I've fallen in love twice. I've had two breakups. Like there was a lot of, you know, like, am I living in Bali? Am I living in LA? Like I don't have a visa yet. Like getting a visa was a lot harder than I thought it would be. I still don't have it. I still haven't submitted the application. I feel really unstable in my environment. You know, there's been a lot of like, okay, like what am I teaching? Da, 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 da. What about this? So I don't get to publish the book that I wanted to publish. I have to publish this other thing first. You know, like there's been a lot of like random twists. And then I, I go to LA so I can focus my book and then I get mold poisoning, you know? So it was just like, it's like positive thing, negative thing, got a book deal. I'm writing my book. Now I have mold poison. Now I need to feel like heal the mold poisoning. But now I made a good thing out of it because I'm making a documentary about it. And it's just like, okay, like up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. And I'm tired. And that's why I had a really weird year. And I can look at that and I can be like, well, that sucked. And, you know, I feel like a victim of that. Or again, you have the opportunity to reframe this year and to be like, you know, if it was a financially challenging year for you, you could say, I survived a recession. And if I survived a recession, because like most of us have probably been in business for like less than, you know, 10 years. And so we weren't around in like 2008 for like that shit show, you know, and if you were, then you probably, all of my friends that have been in business for like 15 years are just like, oh yeah, we remember this. Like, you know, it's a thing. And they're just like, they just chill about it because it's it's just cyclical, right? And any, everyone that I know that hasn't been through it is like, oh my God, what's happening? Are you freaking out? Everyone's like, yeah, I'm freaking out. So you get to reframe that and be like, oh, cool. Now I'm really prepared for the next one. And I know how the market works. And now I get to be wise. And how cool is it that I survived this thing when a lot of other people left? Or if you did leave an industry and you decide to go back to a nine to five, you get to go, I didn't fail the business thing. I didn't fail the entrepreneurial thing. I realize that I have a greater value for safety and security or consistency and routine than value for risk. And now I know what my true risk tolerance is and I get to thrive in routine. And for me, it was realizing that a lot of the sacrifices that I made this year were me sowing seeds. And like, I'm, I have to delay gratification where I'm, I'm making the active decision to delay gratification. And I won't see the fruits of the seeds that I sowed this year until 2024, 2025. And I'm just like, okay, like that doesn't mean that this year sucked. It means that I like sowed a crap ton of seeds. And in 2025, I'm going to look back on this year and be like, good job farming all of that stuff and realizing that you weren't going to see the fruit of that for another year, year and a half. Because at the end of the day, like that's what this year actually was. And I think reframing that for me was, was such a powerful way to end the year. I am appreciating this so much because I just love that we're speaking to the resilience of being human and having very human experiences and being very intentionally and consciously aware that we can choose how we experience things and how we see things. And the thing is, too, is that I know that there's going to be some people listening to this and they're going to throw down the privilege card and be like, well, there's privilege and blah, blah, blah. But I want to say something. There's so many examples of people who are marginalized, who've experienced oppression, assault. They've been through the fucking ringers and they still choose to live a different life. They pull through that. So it's like, 
I want to emphasize that there's always going to be that choice and that it's not black and white. And that, you know, I mean, it is black. It's a paradox. It is black and white because you can either choose or you don't choose to have freedom. But also it's just, I think choosing, like when I was listening to the end, I was like, this is like taking a lemon and turning it into lemonade. Like that is 2023 in a fucking nutshell. And I, I love that this is how, you know, we're wrapping up this conversation because it's such a great tonality to start 2024 with. And I love that you also emphasize that you, you sowed a lot of seeds this year and you planted a lot of seeds and you're going to see those results in a year or two years from now. And I think that's another thing is that people lack patience and it's like having the patience to trust that everything you've done up until this point is going to grow if you keep showing up and choosing to show up for yourself. And that is like the most important thing. I really loved our conversation today, Phoebe. Like we were all over the place. We got philosophical. It was just so fucking good. And I really want to thank you for coming on. And I think we're going to, we're going to keep this as an annual thing. Hoon's Corner. Hoon's Corner, the update in December. So good. But before, before I wrap things up today, I always ask my interviewees, what is a piece of wisdom that you want to leave with our listeners today? I have seen a lot of people get really like frustrated, upset, or distracted by this whole kind of conversation around niching, like obviously as a messaging teacher and obviously as someone that has taught human design, it's like a real intersection. And one of the biggest things that I've been through my, you know, my entire life was being, trying to figure out like, what am I great at? And I came to the realization that I'm actually not an expert at anything. And I kind of leaned into that recently and embraced that and was like, you know what? Like, I'm not an expert and I'm never going to be the expert because I'm an artist and I'm a storyteller and there are experts in their fields. And the more that I tried to look for what my thing was, the more frustrated I became. And so I would like to pose this thought to people that might be going through a similar frustration where they're like, what's my thing? What's my thing? If you've spent multiple years looking for your thing, and if the answer is not obvious to you, like what is your true zone of genius? Or like, what is the thing that comes so naturally to you where it's it's clearly your thing? Maybe you're not supposed to be an expert. And in a world of online business where the expert is glorified, ask yourself if instead of continuing to go crazy, trying to figure out like what your expertise is, Maybe you can be successful without being an expert in something. Maybe you can have a business that thrives without needing to be an expert. Maybe you can just like pick a niche, any niche. Like I picked marketing and I just learned it and I did it and I taught it and I'm really good at it. And I've been teaching it for four years. Am I the marketing expert? No. And same with human design. I was like, hey, I'm really interested in this and I'm going to like get into it and I'm going to experiment with it and I'm going to teach it. And I did. Am I the expert? No. I'm not the world's leading authority on either of those things, but I did them and I had a really good time doing them. And I want you to give yourself permission to just lean into like where your curiosities are taking you. And if you want to come to the conclusion that I did, which is that like, I'm not going to be an educator, like that has a niche expertise, then you can also be okay with that as well. Like you don't need to be an expert. Yeah. Like that is such a three, six thing to say, like just allow yourself to be the fucking experimenter. And when you're done, you moved on and you carry through the wisdom that you got from whatever it is that you were doing, which is so brilliant. So thank you for sharing that. Can you please let our listeners know where they can connect with you? And I'm going to put all the links in the show notes. 
yes, hit me up on Insta at Phoebe Coon. That's the best place. It's where I post my musings. <laughs> so good. Oh, I loved our conversation. It's so fucking nourishing. It was so good to have you on again, Phoebe. So thank you. And I want to thank all the listeners. I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in. And if you can take a moment to subscribe to the channel and leave a review, that would be awesome. And of course, when you listen to this, share this, tag us, let us know what wisdom bombs really blew up in your mind. And I would love to hear it. So thank you. And I'll chat with you in the next episode.